Welcome to the Love, Sex and Freedom podcast. This is where you're going to discover how to bring awakening into the body and into everyday life through powerful tantric teachings. Get ready to release, open and step into your true power. So we're going to look at some collective shadows, some very deep collective shadows that are quite rampant in our culture and in the world. And their vibration is the vibration of war, of corruption in politics, of an education system that's largely bereft of compassionate, attuned teaching. It's going to be a night that will potentially ignite a flame in your heart that can become a torch to bear and hold in the world, to stand for something different than a largely unconscious society that are driven by unconscious impulses. Collective shadows can be personal and personal shadows can be collective, but there are certain collective shadows The reason that they're called collective shadows, I should say, is because everybody definitely has them, whereas personal shadows, not everybody has them, right? So a personal shadow may be anger. Not everybody has their anger in shadow. Some people don't resist their anger. It doesn't mean that they're angry bitches. It means someone who who doesn't have their anger in shadow is okay with their anger and they listen to it and they go, right, I'm angry, that must mean that I need to calm the fuck down or set a boundary or listen to what it's telling me. But someone who is trying to be, ah, all the time, if their anger comes up, that's the Dr Jekyll and Mr Hyde complex, right? So what he did was he formulated a potion so that only his virtuous traits would be revealed, right, to his patients and to his colleagues and acquaintances. Because, you know, he noticed that there was this stuff going on and he was getting angry and not Mr Nice Guy anymore and he'd obviously had the message strongly in his childhood that it was important to be a good boy, right? What ended up happening was the more that these energies became repressed as he kept taking the potion and that blown-up ball that I referred to last week got pushed down... It kept bouncing up with more and more volatility, right, until he ended up becoming a murderer. So so that's extreme. The consequences of repressing these energies mean that the more buried that they become, then the more violently they express themselves and in an out-of-control way. Who's experienced before... Like they're travelling along, they're thinking, yep, I'm really spiritual. I'm doing my intentions, my affirmations, I'm practising loving kindness, I'm in service, and then all of a sudden, you're a psycho bitch. That's why it's important to check out when you're feeling triggered. Don't just bypass it. Unless you've had perfect parents who've been consistently loving and present spiritually, emotionally and physically, you're going, you're going to have this in your unconscious, which is why it's collective. 
The Wounded Child is a culmination of hard and soft trauma. So hard trauma is if you've been physically abused or raped or you've been in a situation where there was, like, drug trafficking in the home or um, criminal activities or there's been no food in the house, you know, like, really full-on traumas. And another hard trauma is, like, really sudden abandonment. If your father and your mother were there one day and gone the next or, like, in a week. So that's a hard trauma, sudden abandonment. Soft trauma is... Like abandonment, but not quite that hardcore. You're still seeing the parent who abandoned you kind of regularly <coughs> and or the abandonment is that they're never around, you know, or it's emotional abandonment. And, yeah, I mean, there's so, there's so much soft trauma that it's almost become normal. It's when parents aren't really present with you and making you feel like you're, you matter. It's when your needs go unnoticed and unmet. So as adults, we're responsible for ourselves. But as children, our parents are responsible to us. And so if we've never had parents who are tuned to us and who meet our psychological and emotional and physical needs and ideally spiritual, then our maturity can get stifled, right, because we're kind of still waiting for somebody to look after us. So the heavier you are in the wounded child archetype will determine how much you look for groups to become your home until you, until you can do your own work and until you really learn to reparent yourself. You're going to look for your parents in the beloved, in gurus, in workshops, in ceremonies, but it's never, it's never going to quite sate you because no, no one ever can. So you kind of, you want to get a happy inner family going on where you've got, where you're your own father who's always there, always present and witnessing without judgment and creating safety for you where you have a mother, a mothering energy inside you that's caring and nurturing you. And these energies will eventually help you to birth the divine child, which is the Holy Trinity, right? It's like divine mother, divine father, (coughs) divine child. And when the divine child is birthed, that child is optimistic and innocent and sees the best and expects wonders and is playful and joyful and it's easy for the divine child to create really intimate bonding and close friendships because that's what the, that's what the nervous system has become accustomed to. But most of us, you know, haven't had two wins with mum and dad. So the divine child is birthed from our own reparenting and shadow work is a way of reparenting because rather than repressing the shadow, we actually, and you'll get a chance to do this tonight, you actually embody the shadow and then find out what it needs and feed that to the shadow. So you're feeding your wounded child 
with love, attention, validation, whatever it is that it's needing. And it's not a head experience. You have to do the process. This is the thing. When you're working with feminine energies and the unconscious, the dark, you know, you're entering the mystery, you're entering the feminine, you're entering your emotional body. When you're working with feminine energies, it's not logical. It's not something that you can work out. So I've given you as much information and structure as possible in the manuals, but know this, that your greatest teacher through shadow work is your ability to surrender into the practices, trust your intuition and really keep breathing into the body because the wisdom that's held in your womb, that's held in your body, you can't compare anything to that. So... The wounded child very easily becomes a victim because the wounded child, they they can't really look after themselves. They can't hold down a job. They can't, at, at extreme, they can't really function because they haven't been looked after well enough. You know, they're constantly in survival mode and fight or flight. So trying to create stability for themselves is very difficult because their nervous system doesn't know stability. So from that, they become a victim. And, and the victim, it's, it's very hard for the victim to take responsibility. A wounded child will either become very dependent on the people around them or very independent, which I touched on, where it's like, They don't even know, they've got no idea what it's like to be well looked after and instead of them needing that, they're like totally distrustful of it and it's so unfamiliar that it doesn't feel safe. And that can also arise if there's been abuse. It's like you might get hurt so you have to be independent. If you depend on someone, that means that you're going to get hurt, right? Or if if you let your walls down and you're open to connection especially if the abuse happened under the age of seven, right? That's when the personality is set. So when that energy goes and becomes victim, it's like, yeah, they just, victims are in the poor me, right? This happened, that happened to me. And why me? And oh, and everything's catastrophized. You know, a bad five minutes turns into a bad five hours, turns into a bad five days, turns into a bad five years. And it's just self-perpetuating because there's always this feeling that, you know, no matter what's happening, in that there's a possible scenario of something bad happening. So a lot of the time the perfect codependent couple is the wounded child and the caretaker. Right? The caretaker gets to avoid their shit by caretaking someone else. The wounded child gets to not face their shit by being taken care of by someone else. Yay, everybody's happy, right? But they're always at each other because they're both resentful for the roles that they're playing. So, yeah, the victim, it's like whatever's happening, they can't actually see that they've created it. They genuinely think that it's been done to them. They genuinely think that the reason they're feeling this is because of another person or because of an event. 
and they can't see beyond the veil of that illusion. For a wounded child who's gone into codependency, the fear of aloneness is going to be pretty hardcore, right? For the victim, it's jealousy because they're, they're always like, why me and what about me? So they're comparing themselves to others and they're envious of what other people have. When you start to meet the, that shadow, then you start to become a lot more self-responsible. Victims are often looking for sympathy and they're kind of in a hole of self-pity. So they'll be like, oh, I've done this and this and this and I'm so tired and this hurts and that hurts. And it's like a never-ending series of complaints because they want to be seen, right? So if you're really seeing yourself and feeding the victim with what it needs, then you start to become self-responsible. You start to look at the world differently. And really the key to becoming self-responsible is in the understanding that you're responsible for every choice you make, you're responsible for every reaction you have, and you're responsible for everything you think. Nobody else is. You're in this little world of your own, right? And you're creating it. But then you buy into the illusion that the external is creating what's happening here. But of course it's not. Who, who feels like, you know, if, if, if there's dissonance or unease between you and someone else or something's not working, you can go into that energy of, that's because they're doing this or that's because this is happening and when you have uncomfortable feelings, it's not because you're creating that, it's because nothing's working around you and, you know, this person's doing this and that person's doing that. Sometimes it's like you may be a victim of abuse and in those times how would you know when are you really a victim? It's, it's when the power of choice gets taken away from you, when you're physically being held down or you can't get out or, you know, there, there's an entrapment that's forced upon you. Where and, and, I mean, you know, some would even argue that there's still a choice not to go into victim. Who's seen Life is Beautiful? Where a man is in a concentration camp with his son and he's still not a friggin' victim, Right? He's making all these fun stories about what's happening and bringing in joy and love and lightness to the experience. The saboteur, another collective shadow, the victim can often come into this. This is the energy where you're sabotaging your life because of the fear of what might happen, right? which can stem from a victim mentality, but it can be separate to that. So when we're sabotaging our lives, we're, we're quite driven by fear. The saboteur in relationships, the relationship's almost going too well. So, <laughs> so they do something to sabotage it because their nervous system isn't accustomed to being in ease and joy. So unconsciously they're going, all right, I'm just going to get upset about this or this. And then later they might regret it 
And, and that's with all, all shadows. That's another consequence of repressing the shadow is that we act in ways we don't know why we're doing it. We're repeating patterns over and over again. But later on we're like, why did I do that? And, you know, it, it's like if you can bring that level of consciousness to your relating, to your interpersonal relating where, people are, where you're both taking ownership of, your, of how your unconscious fears and impulses are creating separation, then you stop, eventually you stop creating separation and you just you, you become closer and closer and closer and sometimes yeah, it has to go really dark and destructive just for you to see that big piece that you weren't seeing, right? So the, when the saboteur starts to be acknowledged and fed and looked at and met, and brought into awareness, we can start to see where we're closing doors and actually go, what if I put that energy into opening doors? What if I started being positive outcome focused? What if I started placing my intention into things that I do want? Because fears manifest just as much as desire, right? And wherever your attention goes, energy flows. But again, you can't, in the manual, you'll see that I've got the collective shadow and then I've got the ally, what it grows into once it's integrated. Don't think that you can jump straight from the shadow into the ally. I, I tried that one in my 20s. That's the nice girl mask. It's like, oh, the wounded child's coming out. Oh, I need to be the divine child or, you know, whatever it is. You, you go to the opposite but there's still that churning in the belly. There's still that sadness when the lights go out. There's still the bipolar sporadic psychosis once a month where you turn into a crazy bitch, yeah? So it's always, it's always going to sneak up on you if, if you're not looking. Can you see this destructive cycle? And a lot of people are on this, you know, and it, and it may not be high level. So the addict wants to numb their pain. They want to not feel. And basically those with, like, people with a really strong addict archetype, they actually can't feel pleasure in any other way other than when they're right in their addiction or their craving. So, of course, they're going to get addicted to it, yeah? The important piece with addiction is to admit that you've got an addiction you know, everybody kind of knows that, whatever your addiction is. And then when that addiction comes up, to have some self-discipline and some mojo to go, no, I'm not going to do that. What's the feeling that I want? Can I be a yes to that instead of to the drug? And how can I get it? So, you know, part of the addict archetype, they've always got excuses as to why it's okay. Oh, I've had a massive week at work. I deserve to couple of, pop a couple of pills and have a good night out. Or it's been a really heavy day, I'm in a lot of pain. It's okay to have a couple of wines. But what if you asked yourself, what's the feeling that I'm wanting once I have the wine or once I have the pills? Maybe the wine, it's to relax and unwind. And perhaps you could be a really strong yes to a warm bath with oils instead or a massage from a friend, right? Tuning into 
what the genuine need is for. So with the addict, when that starts to integrate and you start feeding the addict what it really needs, you start to know how to take care of yourself. So, yeah, what, what are your cravings? And do they, do they serve you, you know? So it's like get addicted to something that does. Get addicted to, for a start, you know, get addicted to meditation instead or <laughs> hot baths or massages or cuddles with your best friend. And then, you know, you get to a point where nothing is an addiction or a must-have because your nervous system is, is becoming accustomed to being comfortable with the uncomfortable, right? And that's really what shadow work does. It teaches you, it's like, you don't have to run away from your uncomfortable emotions. You don't have to fight with someone when uncomfortable emotions come up. You don't have to run from a situation or someone. You don't have to go into freeze. You can stay fully present, fully alive and totally out of control, you know, and check it out. That's how you awaken. You, this is what teaches you. This is how you become your best teacher. That's why... Shadow work is the nucleus of igniting your power because to become powerful is to know thyself fully and completely and to not run away from yourself anymore. The next collective archetype is the know-it-all, which spends a lot of time and energy having opinions about everything and proving that their opinion is the right one and not letting up until they prove that. And it's, it's what the education, you know, it's like the need to be right, it's actually praised <laughs> from a very early age. It's like, how are you going to get into university? How are you going to get a thumbs up from your mum and dad? Get it right. Get the answer right. So it's inbuilt from such an early age. Get it right or you won't survive. Get it right or you won't make money. Get it right or you won't be popular or whatever it is. And if you get the answer wrong and lots of answers wrong, then you get a bad grade, you're shamed for it. So we learn that it's not okay to be wrong, which has, which has two ramifications. One is that when we receive a reflection from someone who loves us, about our behaviour, we straight away are oversensitive that we're being negated and we're being criticised and then it's like, oh, no, I'm wrong. And then it's like, well, I'm going to show them that I'm right. (laughs) Or that that's the way that we actually build our self-esteem is by being right. And so what we have is a lot of relationships where as soon as conflict arises, there's just this battle of who's going to prove that they're right. Persuading someone that you're right is often completely futile because we are all clouded by our own subjectivity. We all have our own subjective lenses, which are filtered through our genetics and our conditioning, right? So let it go. It's like, why why do we find it so important to be right? Because of this unconscious shadow that actually doesn't feel good enough if they're not right. And, you know, it's also part of the overactive mind of our culture. It's like rather than actually listening to someone's point of view and considering it, 
We're thinking of what we're going to say. We're thinking of our own perception. Because the battles are for the junior warriors, you know, the ones that are on the field to prove themselves. And it's like, I'm being tough. I can do this. And, yeah, I'm going to fight for my country. I'm not sure what I'm fighting for, but I can do this. But the warrior who wins the war is like, centred on determined and in service, in full service. So in that energy, you're no longer a know-it-all, but you're still slicing the ego, right? And sometimes that means when you're relating to people one-on-one, especially you're talking less and they're talking more. And they receive a lot from your silence, actually, and from, your, from what you're not saying. So the ally of the know-it-all is humility, right? So when you, when you begin to really feed the know-it-all, which really, I mean, a lot of the time it's validation. It's like, you know, you, you are right for you. You're in your own integrity and this is your stance or whatever it is. People, people have different things coming up for what their know-it-all needs. If you take the time to drop in to these energies and find out what they need, then they end up integrating and turning into an ally. And I feel like with the know-it-all, often the ally is humility. It's like, okay, instead of trying to prove myself, instead of trying to be right, can I just be openness? Can I just be open to what I truly desire? Can I be open to what people reflect to me? Can I be open to new teachers and new teachings? Can I be open to new traditions? Can I be open to new possibilities? And then it's just this growing flower that keeps radiating and overflowing. And eventually that humility becomes the genuine energy of service. You're not in service anymore with, your, with the primary motivation being to make money or to reach high status, you're in service because that's what openness ends up going to. It's just like, you know, if you're no longer needing to be right and you've dropped your opinions about yourself and everyone, then what's going to happen? We can start exploring that. Thanks for listening to the Love, Sex and Freedom podcast. For more great free resources, in-person and online workshops and our retreats, find us on Instagram and Facebook at Elia Tantra School or visit elia.com.au. See you next time.